Yeah. Hold on a second. This is the breakdown.
Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be back. And uh, before we uh, dive into the word here, I do want to say uh, a special thanks for uh, all the uh, gifts and prayers and cards and meals and pies and all that sort of thing that uh, we received um, for pastor appreciation. I was telling the early service uh, this morning, um, your generosity is not normal. You, you guys are not normal, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying it. But uh, on behalf of me and my family and Kevin and his family, uh, man, we, we greatly appreciate it. It is, uh, it is a very kind gesture. Uh, so uh, today's message is one that has really been years in the making. And as your pastor, I'm going to uh, share some of my heart with you uh, in the area of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we know that God gave the church two ordinances. Uh, one is baptism. It's the outside symbol of what's going on on the inside. It's the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the picture of the old us dying and the new us raising to life, raising to walk in newness of life. Uh, we participate in baptism as often as we can. It is a great encouragement to the church. The other ordinance is the Lord's Supper or communion. Now, um, please don't be offended if I use those words interchangeably because in my mind uh, they are the same thing. The Lord's Supper is the same as communion. And honestly, we have not had communion here in over four years. Four years. Uh, It's been so long that many of our kids who have uh, made professions of faith in Christ don't even know what it's about. Now, part of the reason was... COVID, that little uh, global pandemic that we all dealt with. Uh, And to pass the elements around, it would have been risky. But the main reason is because it has become something that it shouldn't be. See, communion, like baptism, it should be a, a great encouragement to the church. Communion should be Worship. Communion should be a time to reflect on what our Lord has done for us and what He is doing for us and what He promises to do for us. Not that it is about us, but in His grace, uh, man, He uh, gives us many benefits that we can worship Him for. Communion should be a time that we take a serious look at what Jesus went through, each individually. On behalf of my sin, and we celebrate the freedom that we have found in our new lives in Christ. Most of us would agree that's what the Lord's Supper should be. But rather than any of that, Lord's Supper has become divisive. Now when I say that word divisive, don't be taken aback. Because the division, it's right here in my heart. And I don't think it was intentional, but it still has become divisive. It's a word that means tending to cause disagreement or hostility between people. So how can the Lord's Supper, something that was meant to be a worship service, become divisive? Well, it was in the way it was presented and practiced and perceived. I want to encourage you to take notes uh, on the back of your uh, bulletin this morning. Because I'm going to ask you... um, to take these notes home and study them this coming week. Uh, There are three major ways that communion is practiced. The first is closed, C-L-O-S-E-D. Only church members in good standing are allowed to take part in the ordinance. 
The second is close. So you just take the, the D off the end, it's, it's close. Where people of like faith and order can participate. They may not be a member of First Baptist Church Potosi, but they are scripturally baptized believers. They would agree on the major issues of doctrine that we do, like who is Jesus, who is God, who is the Holy Spirit, who are we in light of all of this truth, how our salvation is secure. Third practice is open. So we have close, closed, and open. So open allows uh, pretty much anyone to take part. True open communion uh, doesn't really question much when it comes to participating. If you're there and you want to, you can partake, though many times the church will limit it to professed believers. We have godly ancestors. Hear me when I say that. We have godly ancestors, church leaders that have gone before us that decided a long time ago that First Baptist Church would be Closed. Currently, First Baptist practices closed, where only members should participate. Now think through this with me for a moment. We would accept the baptism, the, the other ordinance that God gave the church. We would accept that from another church. And we would even accept their tithes and offerings. But we would not allow them to participate with us, unless they're members. It was associational-wide at the time. Uh, but now many BMA churches, um, some might say most BMA churches, have moved away from closed communion. And, and the reasons vary. A lot of times, uh, it's just because that's how we've always done it, because of tradition. So I, I began to just ask questions and, and look into it to see, okay, why have we always done it this way? And, and one of the things that usually comes up is because the, in the first Lord's Supper, written of in the Gospels, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. We're going to take a look at some of those passages later. Jesus only invited his inner circle. You can write that down. That's the next blank on your outline. Historic reasons for closed because of Jesus' inner circle. It was the 12 disciples at the first communion. Another reason is because of church discipline. Church discipline. That's the second reason. Now, church discipline, it's a, it's a biblical practice. It's the process of, of correcting sinful behavior among church members. It's spoken of in several of Paul's letters, though it is questionable at best to say that it is connected with the Lord's Supper when it was written up. Church discipline is designed to protect the church, ultimately restore a wayward child of God back into fellowship with him. The third reason is because of the use of the word church. In the New Testament. We're going to take a look at all of these today, but I would like to submit to you today communion, the Lord's Supper, is a matter of interpretation. The Lord's Supper, communion, is a matter of interpretation. And I will also say this communion is a rib issue not a heart issue. We've talked about this before. There are certain non-negotiable heart issues, kind of like what we mentioned before. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Who are we in light of who who they are? They're all written in Scripture very plainly. There is no room for interpretation on heart issues, but rib issues are secondary. Rib issues are the ones that uh, we develop opinions on 
many times very strong opinions, but we have to admit, even if we don't like to, there may be some gray areas in the Word of God when it comes to these rib issues, because the Bible doesn't come right out and say, this is how you're supposed to do it. I've got to be honest. Uh, For a long time, I believed that closed communion was just plain legalistic. And I know that the proponents of closed communion uh, see anything north of that as liberal. But now I see that's not necessarily true because it is a matter of interpretation. Church, it, it becomes legalistic when we say, okay, the Bible says this is how we have to do it. There is no other biblical way because it is a matter of interpretation. And the Bible doesn't come out and say this is how you're supposed to do it. It becomes liberal when we veer from the truth of the Word of God and we start preaching that anything goes. And church, hopefully by now you know as your pastor that I would never preach that. I would never want that for any of us, that anything goes. So the question becomes, what does the Word of God say about the Lord's Supper? The most extensive teaching and instructions are found in 1 Corinthians 11. So I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps there. As it turns out, communion had become divisive for the Corinthian church for different reasons. And so, inspired by God, Paul wrote them this letter. If you are able to stand out of respect for the Word of God, please do. As we read... 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen and following. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions. That that word means a small, organized, dissenting group. There must be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another one is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So, for the Corinthians, communion became divisive because they just wanted to recognize certain people when they came in for worship. They wanted a feast. They wanted to get drunk. While some other poor people, they came starving and they left even hungrier because they wouldn't share what they had. Now, very thankfully, I don't think our division goes anywhere near the depths of theirs. But the divide comes with who should be included and who should not. And as the pastor, I hear it from both sides. And so, the time has come to address it so that we can move forward. This is the purpose of the message today. I'm asking each and every one of you 
to prayerfully consider everything presented. Take home your outline. Take home these verses. Study it for yourselves. What does the Word of God say to your heart? I'm asking you to spend time and seek the heart of God on this issue in the coming week because with the deacon's support, we're going to move forward on a vote within the church members. How do we sense God leading us at First Baptist Church in the area of communion? Now, uh, a part of the study Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby comes to mind with this issue. It's the study of koinonia. Say that with me. Koinonia. Translated many times as fellowship. It's the, the Greek word means the fullest possible partnership and fellowship with God and believers. Koinonia is, the, is fellowship on the deepest level. And when we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with each other through Jesus. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So the close, intimate growing relationship that we have with God through Jesus, it reaches into our relationships right here at church. You can write this down. Koinonia brings unity. Koinonia brings unity. It brings brotherly love despite our shortcomings and despite differences in opinions. Not only that, I believe that through Koinonia that our God can and will bring us to a decision on the interpretation of the Lord's Supper. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So church, this is, this is an exciting time here. This is, this, is, this is good news. Because I believe that we are going to see God work among us. And I'm just asking you to seek him with an open heart and open mind. In the days ahead. Back to the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11. You may notice that uh, the Lord's Supper it used to be more than just the small cup and the small cracker that we're used to. See, churches used to meet in homes. We're better suited for a larger meal. I mean, when Jesus instituted it, it was more like more of a meal. But when large church buildings began to be built... More people came, they weren't suited for a large meal like that, and so it became what we know, more like what we know, the small juice and the small cracker. So just note that even in that, the presentation has changed through the years, but the purpose and the meaning have not changed. Look at verse 23. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice that phrase, discerning the Lord's body. It it means to make a distinction 
with Jesus. And so we can take that, that that means this is for believers, okay? It's for believers, those who have made a distinction, discerned the Lord's body. Verse 30, uh, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So, when the Lord's Supper became divisive for the Corinthian church, what specifics were addressed? What is really the purpose of communion? Look at verses 24 and 25 again. When we take it, and and there are no instructions on how often we're to take it, we're just told we are to take it. It is to be a remembrance of Jesus. You can write that down. The purpose of communion is to be a remembrance of Jesus. And so that tells me it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Verse 26, whenever we take it, we proclaim Jesus' death. Whenever we take it, we proclaim Jesus' death. Now think about that for a moment. When we proclaim his death, we proclaim his resurrection. We proclaim his death, we proclaim the gospel. When we proclaim his death, we proclaim all that he has done to give us life. We proclaim all that he has done in in covering our sinfulness with his righteousness. When we proclaim his death, we proclaim forgiveness of sins. When we proclaim his death, we look forward to his return. When we proclaim his death, we, we long for the day that we will stand as his people, every tribe, tongue, and nation around his throne and worship him one day in heaven. That's why the Lord's Supper is a worship service, because it should point all of our attention to Jesus and all that he has done, all he continues to do, and all he promises to do. And so that's why we are going to seek the Lord so that we can settle this and end the division and get back to it. Notice the warning in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood. That phrase, unworthy manner, it's, it's a warning. And we've already seen what an unworthy manner is in in the earlier verses. Verses 17 through 22. Divisions. When when hearts are divided. When there's disunity. When people are using it for status. When people are not sharing. When they're using it to get drunk. When the poor are humiliated. When there's selfishness involved. When it's not a worship service, but it's just a meal. These are unworthy manners. Because they take the focus off of who it should be on and put it on ourselves. And that's not right. Notice the command, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You can write that down. Let a man examine himself. To examine oneself is to check his own heart. How do we do that? It's through the Holy Spirit within us. It's through the Word of God that Hebrews 4.12 tells us it it discerns the thoughts of our heart. And notice it says that each one should check our own hearts. 
It's in the context here of the Lord's Supper. And it doesn't tell me to examine your heart. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not mine. It doesn't tell you to examine my heart. That's not your job. It is the Holy Spirit's job. One of the issues that comes with closed communion is that by excluding some, and Lord knows that exclusion has included some very godly people, true believers. And by doing that, then we take on the role of the Holy Spirit, and we don't even allow people to examine themselves as we're instructed to do. Let me say that again. One of the issues with closed communion is that by excluding some, Lord knows that exclusion has included some very godly people, true believers in Christ. By doing that, we take on the role of the Holy Spirit, and we don't allow them to examine themselves as we are instructed to do. Communion is a time for each individual to worship, and then we come together as believers under the one true Jesus Christ. I know there's still some who are struggling with it, and that's okay. Look at Ephesians 4. It says this. We'll see this in our study of Ephesians here coming up soon. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body. The word for body there is soma, and it's referring to the church. There is one body, one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Church, we're called to examine ourselves, which tells me that this is between an individual and God. That is done through the Holy Spirit. That is done through the Word of God. Notice, this is, this is deep because we even see the Trinity here. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we now have the Holy Spirit and we now have access to God. And so now we see the Trinity is at work. It's important. When we examine ourselves, we confess sin. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Any unconfessed sin harbored in my heart will cause me to take the ordinance in an unworthy manner. Any division harbored in my heart will cause me to take the the ordinance in an unworthy manner. Any selfishness, any pride, any greed. Notice in verse 29, back in 1 Corinthians. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So, when divisions came in the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper, 
God's Word gives us the purpose. It is to remember and proclaim the death of Jesus. Instructions are not to take it in an unworthy manner, but to examine ourselves. Church, there are no instructions on whether to go close, closed, or open. I've searched it out. (laughs) It's a matter of interpretation. Now, again, um, one historic reason why we have been closed is because of of Jesus' inner circle. And so that creates a question. Was Judas there? Was Judas there? Now, most proponents of closed uh, choose to believe that he was not. Now, this question matters because if the first Lord's Supper was truly closed then Jesus would not have been there because apparent, excuse me, Judas would not have been there because apparently he was not a true believer. In Matthew 26, 24, Jesus said it would have been better for him not to be born, and he pronounced a woe on him. It's the same word used that he used for the legalistic, non-believing Pharisees in many places. A woe is a curse. It's the same word used to, destru- to describe God's wrath on unbelievers in Revelation. Now, of course, there is debate on this, but it appears to me that Judas was not a true believer. Now, did Jesus know this? Of course. So, was Judas there when Jesus instituted this new covenant or not? Well, that too is a matter of interpretation. What does the word say? Look at Matthew's account, Matthew 26, 20. When evening had come, he, Jesus, sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Was Judas there? Look at Mark's account. It's almost identical. Mark fourteen seventeen. In the evening, Jesus came with the twelve. And as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man to never have been born. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. 
And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Was Judas there? Look at, look at Luke's account. Luke twenty-two fourteen. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for me. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my, in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of the betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes, and it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them would do this thing. Was Judas there? John's Gospel, it tells the story from a different angle. Chapter 13, it doesn't mention the elements of the Lord's Supper. Although, Jesus does wash the disciples' feet in verse 2. In the New King James and the King James, it says it was after the meal. And then in verse 27, he tells Judas to go and quickly do what he was called to do. Was Judas there? I asked uh, Brother Donnie Parrish the same question a few years ago. For those of you who don't know him, he is the director of the LifeWord organization for the BMA. LifeWord is, is that organization who takes the gospel through the radio raves where missionaries cannot go. I asked him the same question, was Judas there? And his answer was something like, you have to really read into it to say that he wasn't because it's very possible that he was. Now, if Judas was there then even this first occurrence wasn't truly closed. So I just submit to you today, it's a matter of interpretation. This is one area that I wish that the Lord had just spelled it out. This is how you're supposed to be doing it. This is how you're not supposed to be doing it. But He didn't. I've searched throughout the Word. It isn't there. And so that means that God intended it for it to be a matter of interpretation. I believe that he wants us to search it out as a church body. I think that's why there are some gray areas in the Word, so that we will seek his face, seek his heart, that we might know what he's calling us to do. Remember that third reason that we listed earlier for closed is the word church in the New Testament. It's translated ecclesia, and it means a, 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 a group of called out ones. Now, ecclesia can refer to a specific church. Here's the definition. An assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. The second definition, those who anywhere in a city, village, constitute such a company and are united into one body. So it can mean a specific church, but the third definition is this. The whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. If it was one or the other, then there wouldn't be room for interpretation. But it is both. There are some here today who would prefer to go open 
because of many of the reasons what, that I've listed today. And there are others who still prefer closed, despite the reasons presented today. But as your pastor, I interpret it that we should move from closed to close. That's the middle ground between the division. But I acknowledge that I am not the Holy Spirit. But I also acknowledge that I am being obedient here today to what the Holy Spirit has called me to do. So I am asking you to seek the heart of the Lord to see what He is saying to your heart in the area of communion. I have asked the Lord to change my heart on this for years, but there is still a check in my spirit with closed. But I will also say this, I am resolved to move forward with communion, however this body of believers is led. And I would ask you to do the same. Because honestly, the conclusion that I have come to, it really doesn't matter who's included or who is excluded. What matters is that we are doing it. That we are participating in this wonderful ordinance of worship that God has given the church. That's what I'm asking you to do. You have homework this week. Not that you always do, but um, search it out. As we go into a time of invitation, um, so this message is kind of geared to those of us at First Baptist Church. Maybe you're here and you're visiting. What does this mean for you? Well, first of all, uh, let it be said that this body of believers wants to go the direction that God wants us to go. As a whole, that's where we want to go. We can all agree on that. Secondly, we stand on those non-negotiables. The ones that there is no room for interpretation. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Who am I in light of that? See, church, the, the truth is every single one of us needs Jesus. We go into this time of invitation. I, I acknowledge that, uh, you know, maybe you came in with a lot of different burdens. And I am thankful that, that the Lord uh, speaks to us through his word in ways well beyond the messenger. I, I, I'm thankful for that. If you need to come and you need to pray, you do that. But if not, I just want to ask you to, to begin to seek the Lord on this area. Um, there is, there's a burden with delivering a message like this. There really is. But this is what the Lord has called me to. So I look forward to what he's going to do. Let's stand. Lord, we invite you to come, and uh, we do thank you. Lord, that, that you have called us out. That we, uh, we have the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts. And Lord, through koinonia, through fellowship, you can speak to a group of us, a group of our hearts. And God, that's what we desperately need. 
I look forward to participating in the Lord's Supper once again. Whichever way this group of believers decides. Lord, if there are any here who would say, well, I don't know that I even know him. May today be the day of salvation. Be worshiped here today as we continue. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.